Welcome to season four, Fostering Change, the number one podcast in adoption and foster care. You know, each week we speak to the most amazing good humans about topics that touch each and every one of us. If you have a guest suggestion or interest in sponsoring our podcast, please visit us at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, sit back, enjoy, learn, get motivated, and let's speak to some fascinating guests. You know, it is so hard to believe that we are actually already in the month of May. You know, May is a very special month, as you know. I actually think that we should give children who are in foster care, they should have every month. But you know what? If they're going to give us something, I'm glad they give us beautiful May. And, you know, we're day two of, you know, National Foster Care Awareness Month. You know, when I was a kid growing up, they never even really talked about that. And it wasn't until I would say in the last 10 years have I seen a lot of light shine on this particular month. But, you know, the one thing that I do know is that I love having this podcast because then I get to meet some amazing people. I get to become such amazing friends with people who truly have that passion that I always talk about. You know, it's that passion where we can go and we can blame the system, you know, and so many of us have that opportunity or, or, we can do what my next guest is doing, and that is she's helping us change the system. You know, we have to understand that children arrive in the system because of a choice that someone else made. We also have to understand that children who arrive in foster care, they arrive with post-traumatic stress disorder twice the rate. Now, just listen to that. Twice the rate of our combat veterans who are coming back from the front line. You know, that's some trauma. But with my next guest, she is actually not only doing something about it, but she's also telling her story. And you know, each and every one of us, when we tell our story, we never know how it will impact somebody. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my friend, Angela Featherstone. Angela, you are actually the founder of a fosteringcare.org, which is actually a nonprofit for healing school for children who are actually been in our foster care system. Yes. Hi, thank you. That statistic was just mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's so sad, Angela, because, you know, you and I both, you know, being so deep within that system, you know, people don't see that. They don't realize that right now today, as we sit here and have this conversation, that we have close to 80% of our death row inmates were in foster care. Could you imagine if we were able to get to that little boy or that little girl prior to the things that she had to do or he had to do that got him into that place? You know, trauma. I know. And, and I, you know, I wasn't even aware of the statistics. I can't wait to talk to you more uh, and get a hold of some of those incredible statistics that you have. The ones that have jumped out in me were that 80% of all trafficking survivors are from foster care. 80 to 90% of all youth who age out of foster care end up in prison, commit suicide and or homeless somewhere in there. And 30 to 40% of that is within the first three years. And so yeah. 
Yes, yes, it's 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 shocking. And and you know, I want to jump right into your story because by yeah. the way, you're was- an amazing actress. You're an amazing actress. You had an opportunity that you could have not told your story, by the way. You had an opportunity that you could have gone on, but instead there was something that made you go and start to tell your story. And by the way, you're the first person I've ever met who actually emancipated yourself at the age of 17. Tell me about how you ended up in the system, but how you made that choice. Because let me tell you something, that's a scary choice. I was a homeless kid. That is scary to say at 17, you were all of a sudden an adult without probably having the adult tools that were supposed to be given to us as children. But how did it all start? Well, yeah, thank you for that. And I was just gonna, I was just gonna say my, while my time in foster care itself and the system was limited. It was a year and a half. In that year and a half window, I got to experience the foster care to justice system pipeline and the foster care to trafficking pipeline. So while my time was limited, it didn't take much. And so when I think about other kids, I, I and I, I can extrapolate that in a year and a half, I was in and out of group homes to jail and I was, and I got trafficked. So I can only imagine what that's like over time and exponentially. So I'm not even remotely surprised by the foster care to prison pipeline. I'm not surprised about that death row statistic, although it's heartbreaking and staggering. It's not shocking in the least. It's and it's just another example of how unknown the devastation of the foster care system is on children and how devastating it is. Yes, yes. So my story is quite simply, I suppose that, you know, as I see it, as I see it now, I grew up with a fair amount of of physical abuse and, and criminal neglect and lots of abandonment and stuff. But, and there was a few times as a child where child family services came knocking and I got called into the off the principal's office with questions about the bruises on my body and stuff. But it was, we moved a lot. And I think that that contributed to us, not not me not getting removed. I will say that not long after I left home, when I was 16, I ran away from home. And then it was from there that I got put into the justice system. And it was from there that I got put into foster care. And then I was there for a little while. And then in an, I, I, I'll get into that, but I just want to say that after I was put into care, it wasn't long before my younger siblings were also put into care. So I was sort of the, I was going to say the pioneer of that. I think that I was the person that was preventing all of us being taken into care because I was able to, um, I was seven and nine years older than the younger, youngest kids, because I was from a different marriage. And so I was able to sort of keep, stop the gap. A little right, bit. I, right. I could feed them or, you know, do something. Very much like my sister, by the way. Same situation, I feel, you know, and just like you, people knocked on our door. People asked about the questions. And as soon as that happened, we were living in a new town. Hello. <laughs> we're living in a new town. <laughs> We were living in a new apartment. We were living in a new state. And it was that constant, they couldn't catch us because they knew that once that door, and we also, my fear for me, and I don't know if this was for you, Angela, but for my fear for me, was that if I told them what was happening behind the doors, 
I was worried it would get worse, you know, that they weren't going to believe that kid and they were going to go tell that to my 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 birth parents and they were going to beat me worse or do things to me. Well, that actually happened to me. And I so I didn't even I think I was maybe eight or I went I went to live with with that side of the family when I was seven. And so it was like around eight eight to nine and I got called into the office because they were concerned about the scratches and bruising and black eyes and whatnot and so I told them but I minimized it I said you know I said you know they asked if I was being beaten or something and I said well absolutely not I was being disciplined and they said so so tell us about that discipline and and I said well they said you know like how often does it happen and I lied and I said once a week because I didn't want them to know, you know, I wanted to minimize it. I didn't want them to know that it was whenever she felt like it. Right. <laughs> whenever the wind changed direction and, uh, you know, it wasn't, it didn't go in like uh, calendar days. It went right. in flows and whatnot. God bless us all. God bless us all. But yeah, and so what happened was I, so I, I minimized it and sort of made it seem normal, like it was discipline. It wasn't, you know, random, wild, feral beatings that it was. And I also minimized it time-wise, made it sound like it was only once a week and not, you know, every day. And um, when I go home, I'll never forget <laughs> Because I was walking, this is going to get a bit dramatic, but it was, it's indelible. It was an indelible moment. I was walking down the hallway and I remember where our apartment was only because I have this one memory, walking down the hallway towards the end of the hall where the apartment door was and the door opened and my mom was standing like with her hand against the door. And she said, so you get beaten once a week, do you? I'll show you <laughs> like that. And then it went on. Then it was on. It was like, so I didn't, uh, I didn't have that. My guilt and shame around my body and all the bruising and the belt welts and, and that were up and down my body often and the clumps of hair that were missing and stuff, that was very sub, sub whatever the word is. Like I kept it inside. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I was unawares, I think, of what other people did. And I also, to be fair, was, I went at this time, at this particular moment, when I'm, when I was starting, like, to be in, like, junior high and have gym locker rooms to share and stuff. And so body shame would be coming up because I was an athlete and there was a lot of times that I had to change privately and that I had to wear clothes that maybe I didn't that the other kids weren't wearing just to hide the welt marks and, and the lashing stuff you know like all whatever particular signs there were of the abuse sometimes it was trees and sometimes it was wooden spoons and sometimes right. it was right. uh, belts it just depended what was near or even sometimes not what was near sometimes I would watch her go out and pick the perfect branch yes. off of the tree to whip like which by the way I didn't think anything of until I watched that show Oz and I realized, oh, there's like some cold blooded shit. Yes. Language. Yes. Yes. No, it's like we you're... have to go pick our own branch. 
Oh my God. Like yeah. That's, that's sadistic. Yeah. We would have to go pick our own branch yeah. and in. And then there was a paddle that we would have to sign it and date wow. it. And it was, yes. So I, you know, you and I, I mean, we walked that same, same path. But here you are, you know, grown up. Let me tell you something. You know, I love my therapist every single Monday when I'm on the phone with him or I'm Zooming with him. And, you know, and I, I he's got me through a lot. What got you through this? Well, I think one, you know, one thing as I was about to say, I don't think I had much to compare it to because we were pretty segregated, a little family, like a unit moving and not talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no one really came in. And no one really got out. But I also was, you know, shared a, a bus every day and was our little town was surrounded by a First Nations reservation. So those were the kids that were my and, and I feel like their trauma, my trauma was uh, wasn't any di- like different than I was I was surrounded by like people. Well, the abuse probably was different. Like I didn't see any bruising and stuff on my friends at school I feel like the level of systemic trauma that they were experiencing through their whatever means it was through their segregation or just the you know the life the alcoholism and the you know the just whatever. I don't want to get into that, but just, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the, a white kid in, in Beverly Hills. I was covered in bruises. I was a white kid with a bunch of other kids who were also having very difficult and sometimes tragic experiences. So I think in some ways that helped. And I was pretty much segregated from anyone who might be having a normal existence, quote unquote. Yeah, I always think, you know, what was normal. Listen up, everybody. we got to take a quick break, but I am just beyond so excited to have my friend on. You know, not only the fact that she's an actress, she's a filmmaker, she's an advocate, but I love, Angela, that you are starting this nonprofit for trauma because I do truly believe that that is something that we are not talking about enough. I believe that we are not giving support enough to children who are coming out of the system. And I believe that if we start tackling this, when the child is in the system, we are going to make better humans. And that is the key for our success. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. Well, you know, once again, I say this quite often, there is nothing better than a good conversation, especially when you're having a conversation that truly opens up a part of your mind to make you really start to think and say, how can I do more? How can I make sure that tomorrow, tomorrow, 
is even brighter than today was. And that's exactly what I'm doing with my friend, Angela. Angela, you know, when we we took our break, um, we had, I had asked a question and I and I, I really want our listeners and our viewers to, to hear because I want to know how you healed your trauma, you know, and I think that is important for people to know. Thank you. Yeah, it wasn't something that I planned on ever. I wasn't, as we've discussed before, I wasn't even really aware that I had trauma. I mean, I knew that I had had a very difficult childhood and that weird stuff had happened and that, you know, it was so bad at home that it was better for me to run away and live on the streets of Winnipeg, minus 30 degree weather, than it was for me to stay home. And I knew that I, see, I had a good time in juvie jail because it was the first time I really felt safe. But then foster care, the group homes were really bad for me. I didn't like them. They were really wild and feral. And I felt they were another level of criminal neglect that even that I wasn't aware of, because even though it was just wild, it was really outside my comfort zone in terms of, you know, you had like 10, 11, 12 kids that are ages 10 to 18 who have been living on the streets even longer than I have or with just varying degrees of trauma and then there was you know this the street stuff and the trafficking stuff and so I just sort of shoved it down I held it inside I quickly what happened for me in, in terms of like emancipating myself is that I didn't like the group homes and so there was a I don't want to go into all the details and bore everybody but basically one of the reasons there's the foster care to justice system pipeline where you already get a record and you become right. so already understanding and in some ways even welcoming the prison system is because you get three hot meals, three hots and a cot. You really do. And compared to the street hustle or compared to the craziness of the group homes, that can actually be, you actually are safe there. You yeah. have like tons of guards protecting you. But so I was constantly running away from the group home because it was too wild for me. And then I would get a, a bench warrant for a, that's how they keep track of you. Then you get a bench warrant. And then uh, all of a sudden, if you don't make your bench warrant, which if you don't make your court date, which of course you don't, because you have, you're not, it's like eight o'clock in the morning, the next morning, you're still out on, on your hustle, you know, hungover or whatever you're doing, you're certainly not checking in with your social worker. You don't have, you have court first thing, you miss your court date and now you're AWOL. Now you have a warrant out for your arrest. And so then you get picked in. So I was doing this hustle over and over and over again to basically get put back in, in juvie jail. And so what I finally realized, I'm not made for this. So I went and got three jobs. One was a nanny, but place to, so I had a place to live at night that where I, where I was safe. It was a nice single mom with two young kids. And I, you know, I, I grew up like babysitting. I loved kids. So that was great. And then I got a, a, a job washing dishes at a Moskowitz and Moskowitz, like a, like a Jewish deli and I went to pay and I got a job at a clothing store downtown that ended up being sort of involving some people who were traffickers out of Montreal that where the the trafficking mobs were but anyway um so I kind of went back to the judge and said look I'm a hard-working girl please emancipate me mostly too because I needed to get out of Winnipeg because by now I had I had, had a, a new charge 
the unbeknownst to me of, of what was called immorality, which I guess was prostitution, which was totally shocking to me. But now I had people after me who weren't thought that I had, you know, that basically wanted to kill me. Right. Wow. So I had to get out of Dodge. So I, I borrowed money to get a, a, a as much as I could, which was only one way bus ticket to Toronto. But by this time, oddly, and, and this is where it starts to own probably, I don't know how many people are going to resonate with this, but I do believe that inside of all of us, there is that still quiet voice. And for me, that still quiet voice really loved books and it loved a particular biography. This one was about Marlon Brando. He had a rough childhood. I had a rough childhood. He was from a steel town. I was from a steel town. His birthday was April 3rd. My birthday was April 3rd. And I just knew I was supposed to be a movie star. So it's it's one of those destiny things. There's a great book that a teacher once later, many years later, a spiritual teacher gave me, which was called The Soul's Code by James Hillman. And it really talked a lot about your destiny. And I, by the grace of God, had that. I had a a long-standing relationship through my family. It was it, since I was three, I had it, but then my mother really reinforced reading the Bible and praying every day. And so I, I had a nonstop walking, talking relationship with a God of my understanding. And I think that that helped me feel like I wasn't alone all the time and that there was a moral code that I had, had to adhere to because I was being watched all the time by someone who wasn't severely mentally ill per right. se right right, right. I, I let me tell you i have the same exact thing i took people say where did i get my grit just like you where did you get your grit i always say i got my grit from my heavenly father and you can be you can who you can say whoever you want that person to be but for me for me as i was sleeping on the streets and as i would look in the bathroom mirror the, the bathroom i was able to go try to clean up I would look in that mirror and I would always say, you know, something's going to be better because this is not the life my heavenly father expects me to be. And so, yeah, so I'm like, yeah, I have a deep faith and I do believe that that helps us. I think it helps us with our healing when it comes to our trauma. You know, listen, I, we don't have a lot more time and I really want to get into the school. I really want yes. to talk about the school. Because this was one of the things that attracted me to you. Not also the fact that you're just such an amazing human. But when I heard about this school, it was that light bulb aha moment for me that I was just like, why are why are we not doing this? Why are yeah, you know, know what? I mean, this needs to be done. I mean, these kids, as I started this this conversation with you, they come into the system because of choices other people made. And they come into the system with such trauma, you know, whether it's physical or mental, the trauma, and well, we can heal. We can it's, heal. It's, look, at you, look at me. We can heal. So what are you doing and how can we help you? Well, thank you so much for that. Yes, you know, I don't believe anyone comes into foster care without physical and without trauma. And then there's the trauma of going into foster care, which in and of itself is traumatic. And then there's the trauma of foster care. We know all about the pipelines. We know what I, I know for the most part, most of what I've seen at group homes in California, certainly when I was growing up, it's criminal neglect. There's the food, the nutrition, the, the lack of personal autonomy, the complete and abject lack of any tending to the soul of these children personally i find is abhorrent i, I think it's unconscionable 
and that we would even begin to look outside the foster care system in the U.S. and the almost 500,000 kids that are there that are being daily criminally neglected, not to mention the what we now know is that between the prison and the pedophile and the trafficking pipelines, we have a we are rotten to the oh, core. We, so, let me tell you I, something. The one thing I would, Nelson Mandela said it. Nelson Mandela said, you judge your society based on how you treat your children. Yeah. Look at the way we treat our children. And, and it's the biggest, it's the biggest, you know, I don't want to say that it's a lie, but there's a misinformation, I think, that these kids were horrifically abused and then now they got saved and they got put into the foster care system and Bob's your uncle everything's okay yep. but so here's so here's what happened I'll finally answer your question once it's, it's a, such a it's you know it's it's such a rare space and I'm so honored that I get to even share my story much less share my story in a way that will benefit others so I'm honored to tell my story. So what happened was I was doing really well. I was making tons of money. I was, you know, hand over fisting it. I was the dream come true. Make, you know, I had I had created a life for myself that was beyond any expectation. And I all of a sudden I had a couple of really hard blows as as life does. And in those moments when I had those hard blows, I had absolutely no infrastructure. All of a sudden, the lack of family, the lack of community, the lack of history with people, the all of that when I needed them. There was, as you know, and as and many people know, when things go terribly awry and you're from foster care, where do you go? Where do you go? Where do you go? Where is that home that you need to go to by the lake for a couple of days to recuperate after a hard, after a devastating blow? There is nothing. And you, and at a certain point, I was no longer able to tend to myself and to survive at the same time. Like I couldn't take my little body with all the wounds and all the trauma and still show up at work right. at the same time. Like somebody needed to tend to that. And so what ended up happening was I imploded. I went back to where I felt safe, which is homeless again. I gave away everything. I had tons of money, a big house in Beverly Hills. I had a big car. I had everything that you would think that would have sufficed. I became homeless again because that's where my comfort was. And I just sort of lost it again. And then what ended up happening was I ended up being led on this very mysterious journey. This friend said, you should try this acupuncturist and something just kept guiding me. I had a, a big dream at a certain point that I sensed something big was coming. And so I kind of was like, oh, I think I'll sober up. I think I'll, I think something's happening for me. I think something important is going to happen in my life. And it wasn't on the outside. It was something spiritual and deep. And so I just was led on from he incredible healer to incredible healer to incredible teacher. During this time, I also started to write my story because I couldn't speak my story. People would ask me how I felt during that time. And I would start to throw up because the emotion, my body would not allow me to communicate any part of my story. It was too much for me to handle. So I just kept going and writing and writing and writing. I did a photo exhibit where I showed the images 
from other people's work showing sort of like a narrative. I couldn't tell my story. It's only been in the last year, really, wow. since, since I started this school and our friend Jocelyn Calsmith came on as a publicist that I started to speak my story because before that it was only, I could only write it. And so what happened was in 2020, I'd been, now I'd been, a, I had through that time as well, I started to, through Children's Action Network, our beloved Jennifer Perry and Nicole Cadena, I started to be a volunteer in the foster care system for, for nonprofits that are helping and advocating for these youth. I got, I, through Kids Save, I mentored a young boy for nine years who was in foster care, who was in a lockdown psychiatric level 14 ward, they had basically thrown away the key. He was on, on eight psychotropic drugs. Um, and he had had a, a snap from the understand, you know, just a little baby boy, 11 years old, just a tiny little skinny little guy with Coke bottle glasses. And he was on eight psychotropic drugs. So I got to sort of be reminded and see anew all of the atrocities, all group home after group home after group home, and plastic bags. How is how is that even? You know, I love what you guys are doing with comfort cases. You know, it's a great, a child should not have to move from group home to group home with a plastic bag with an old pair of running shoes. This is this is just disgusting how we treat our it's children. It's an industry that makes money on the backs of children, you know, it, 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 all, I think all of it, the money. I gotta say, I've done, I did some research once, and between all of the people that are high that have jobs through them, and the foster care to big pharma pipeline, and all of the other, just the just these vast systems that are in place because of these little kids, it's pro approximately about a trillion dollars a year that are made off the backs of these five hundred thousand kids, approximately a trillion dollars a year. So. Anyhow, I had this idea. Why was I, why was I in foster care? I have like a crazy story. Why was I in foster care for that year? Why did I see those things that I saw? And I just had a sense that I'm supposed to tell and that all of this privilege that I've had, like being successful on TV and da, 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 the platform that I have is because I'm supposed to tell other people who wouldn't be exposed to it. Because even in, in, in LA where you take young lawyers and judges to, to the prisons, you don't take them to the group homes. They don't show them the internment camps that are just riddled across this country and so so i'm supposed to tell but i'm also taking my healing paradigm with all the healers that i have had that i have worked with they've all joined on instantly because they've been working with me and they see how profound the need is but they also see how easily transformed we are because like you said we didn't do anything wrong we haven't done anything wrong. This is our wound to heal. You and I both know how profound the just the life force is in, inside of these children. Once you clear everything off of them, once you give them some good hot meals and some balance their balance, give them some vitamins and some minerals and de-escalate them so that they're not constantly, and I mean 100% of the time in fight, flight, or freeze, then what happens is you start to open up this seed and there is a force in there that is that is just profound that most, I agree. I that agree. most normal children don't ever get the access to like you were saying it's an untapped energetic force that we could change if you want to change this world 
Start healing the youth aging out of foster care. Start healing their trauma, and you will find the great leaders of tomorrow. Because I agree. There's nothing that can stop them. I agree. Angela, I say it all the time. You invest in a child. You actually invest in your future because they are our future leaders. Listen, um, everyone, this conversation, it is not going to be the last one, by the way, because I know that Angela and I have a lot more to say. But this is what I really need you all to do. I need you to click on the link. I need you to go to visit the school that she's building, getting done. She needs the funds, by the way. The funds are there, a trillion dollars. I know people are listening. I know people who have deep pockets. I know that we all can make a difference. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, sit with a child, just one child who's getting ready to age out of foster care and talk to them. And you will understand why this school is needing we need this school. We need to help our youth who are aging out. And we need to give them the net of hope, the net of hope. Because when you give them hope, you give them dignity, and you also make the world a better place. Angela, thank you so much. I cannot wait for you to have you on our show. And I want you to know, I love you. So take care, everybody. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.